Last week, if you recall, we began a study as a faith family on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be taking the next few weeks uh, to cover in a very broad, general, and summary way what the Bible teaches regarding God the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does. And I just want to reiterate, this is a general, topical summary of what the Bible teaches on the Holy Spirit. We will not be able to address every topic or every question that exists around this subject in this study alone. Frankly, that would be impossible anyway. When we're talking about the infinite nature of our holy God, as Job 11 verse 7 says, who can discover the depths of God? Or who can discover the limits of the Almighty? So when it comes to studying the person and the work of any member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit included, we will spend a whole eternity chasing after a better knowledge of who God is for all of eternity and still only come to the foothills of His mountains. And so while we won't be able to address every topic or every question that surrounds the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we want to at least consider the major ones over these next few weeks. The major ones and to lay a foundation of truth for future studies and understanding. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we want to answer four main questions that I introduced Last week, first, who is he? Second, what has he done in the past? Third, what is he doing in the present? And then fourth, what about sign gifts? So who he is, what has he done, what is he doing, and then what about sign gifts? So it's true, when it comes to the person work of the Holy Spirit, we can't know absolutely all things, but we can know some things absolutely. As Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So based upon the authority and sufficiency of God's revealed Word, we can know who the Holy Spirit is. We can know how He works. And we can know the true nature and purpose of sign gifts. Last week we considered who the Holy Spirit is. We saw, after highlighting many texts, Several of you communicated that it was like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. That the Holy Spirit is fully God. Being a distinct, co-equal person of the Godhead. And that He is not some impersonal force. Floating fog or ghost-like emanation or spirit being. No, the Holy Spirit is a person to the same degree as the Father and the Son are. With intelligence, will, and emotion. In short, the Holy Spirit is God, and a very personal God at that. He is God with us, through whom and with whom we enjoy a vital and vibrant relationship with God. This is the Holy Spirit's person. Well, starting this week, we're going to start examining, in a summary fashion, the Holy Spirit's work. And we'll begin by asking first, what has He done in the past? See, one of the first questions that's often asked in a relationship is, tell me about yourself, right? And though it's a very general question, it reflects the heart of the inquirer. I want to know more about you. I'll never forget the first time I asked Chara that question. She said, well, what about me do you want to know? And I gushingly said, everything. To which my best friend who was walking next to us rolled his eyes and said, oh, brother. (laughs) But it reflected the heart of the inquirer. I wanted to know everything about this woman, right? Because I wanted a deeper, more intimate relationship with her. And usually after the person describes him or herself in 
their character and their interests, we then like to find out what they've experienced or done in the past, right? Like, I went to debate camp going up, growing up, or I used to kickbox, or I wrote my first story when I was 10 years old, or I saw the Rocky Mountains when, it was eight, when I was 8, and it changed my life. Right? We love to hear the information when we're in a relationship like that because all those events and activities in the past tell us more about the person in the present. Right, Their character, their personality, their heart and disposition towards us. Well, remember the Holy Spirit is a person also with whom we have a deeply intimate relationship. He is God with us. And He desires to tell us more about Himself, not only by who He is, but also by what He's done in the past, so that we can know Him more deeply and more fully and understand His heart for us. This the Holy Spirit has done in His Word. And so this morning we're going to examine the Scriptures to find out what the Holy Spirit has done in the past. And we're going to break it down into three sections. We'll examine first what the Holy Spirit did during the revelation of the Old Testament. Then we're going to consider what the Holy Spirit did during the revelation of the anointed Christ, Jesus, when He came to earth. And then finally, we're going to examine what the Holy Spirit did during the revelation of the New Testament. When the person and work of Christ was explained to us. And so, what the Holy Spirit did during the revelation of the Old Testament... The revelation of the anointed Christ and the revelation of the New Testament. Before we proceed any further, let's, as always, ask the Lord to open the eyes of our understanding that we might behold His glory in His Word. Let's let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity we have to gather together around Your Word today. We thank You that it can be taught openly and heard openly. Father, I pray that this openness in preaching and this openness and listening would be reflected by an openness in receiving your word today father i pray that you would give us hearts of faith to hear and to believe who you are and what you're doing and what you have done in the past father we recognize that apart from your spirit's work we are like blind men and so lord we ask open our eyes that we might see Give us understanding according to Your Word. And help us to worship You in all Your splendor and all Your glory as we ought to. By Your Spirit, lead us on level ground this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we pursue a greater understanding of of this God that we have a deep and abiding relationship with, we should ask of the Holy Spirit... What did he do first during the revelation of the Old Testament? And again, there are whole books that have been written on this topic. But for the sake of our overview this morning, I'm going to summarize the Spirit's work in the Old Testament down to five main works. Five main works. First, we find out from the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit created and gave all life. He imparted life. Genesis 1-2 tells us that during... The creation account, God the Holy Spirit, quote, hovered over the face of the waters. Just like how a dove covers or imp- and imparts life-giving warmth to her newly laid eggs. That's a life-giving act that the Holy Spirit was participating in. In Job 33, verse 44, Elihu proclaimed, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. 
And then finally, Psalms 104, verse 30 states that every living creature is created and the face of the ground is renewed when the Spirit goes forth. I want you to think about that. Everything that you saw alive today, every tree, every plant, every bush, every bird, every animal, every human, the squirrel I almost killed on the way here, the Holy Spirit had an integral and intimate part to play in all of that. All things living by the Spirit of life. That's the, that work began in the Old Testament. He created and gave all life. The second work that the Holy Spirit did during the revelation of the Old Testament is He convicted and restrained the whole world. He restrained evil. That is the second job the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament. See, the New Testament clearly teaches, and we'll talk about this next week, that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and restrains evil. But even though the New Testament teaches this, this convicting and restraining work is something that the Holy Spirit has done ever since the fall of humanity throughout the revelation of the Old Testament. For example, in Genesis 6, verse 3, in the account of Noah and the flood, God says, My spirit shall not contend with man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. Now that word contend means to wrestle or to strive. And so the Spirit is striving with wicked men. And it occurs only one other time in Job 19.29 in a noun form where it's translated there is judgment. And so putting it all together, what we learn from the Old Testament is ever since Genesis and the fall, the Holy Spirit has been battling against sin and wickedness in this world by convicting people to do what is right and to refrain from following their wicked, evil impulses. And if they refuse to listen to that conviction and turn from their wicked ways, then the Holy Spirit will restrain their evil by judging them. Quite simply, the giver of life can also take it away. And you see that judging restraint mentioned in Isaiah 63, 10 and 11, where the prophet declared that Israel rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit, right? They refused to turn, therefore He, right, the Holy Spirit, turned to be their enemy, And he himself fought against them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is on a mission to fight and restrain evil. So what did the Holy Spirit do during the revelation of the Old Testament? He gave all life. He restrained evil. Third, he regenerated believers. In other words, he brought those who were spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins to new and spiritual life. We know this because in John chapter 3... Nicodemus, if you remember, comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that any, for anyone to see the kingdom of God, you must, he says, be born again of the Spirit. Unless you think this is a New Testament idea, Jesus then exclaims in verse 10, Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not know these things? In other words, by studying the Old Testament, you should have seen this is how it works. You only get into the kingdom of heaven by being born again. By being born again, not through external reformation, not by following laws, but by having your heart transformed by the Spirit of God. In other words, Jesus is saying that Nicodemus should have known two things from studying the Old Testament. Regeneration happened in the Old Testament. People were born again. And second, it's always been the work of the Holy Spirit who brought about that new life and regeneration. So the Holy Spirit gave all life. He restrained the world. He regenerated Believers and forth in the Old Testament, he empowered some, not all, individuals temporarily. He empowered individuals. 
So when studying the Old Testament, you discover the Holy Spirit would occasionally give to some people supernatural gifts temporarily in four different areas. First, the Holy Spirit would impart to some skill in battle. Skill in battle. These are the stories you love to study about in the book of Judges, right? These guys that will take on a thousand people and just whoop them, right? We see this with the warrior judges Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah in the book of Judges. In Gideon's case, the Spirit may have given that man courage that went far beyond his normal human abilities. He was hiding in the middle of a valley, not wanting to be seen. Pretty soon he's out there leading an army against the people, uh, against the enemies of God's people. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would also impart skill and strength. Other stories I love to read, reading going up, right? Again, in the book of Judges, the Spirit came upon Samson to give him supernatural physical strength. The guy could have been a beanpole like me, but the Spirit gave him strength. This was not a permanent ability, but it was one that came and went. Eventually, it was taken away by God due to Samson's unrepentant heart. The Holy Spirit also imparted in the Old Testament skill and craftsmanship. In Exodus 31, we hear about the Old Test, or we hear about the Holy Spirit filling Baziel and others with the ability, intelligence, knowledge, and skill needed to craft the tabernacle and all of its furnishing and the gold inlaying and the carpet tapestries. So the Holy Spirit would give skill in battle, strength, craftsmanship, and finally, on special occasions, the Holy Spirit would impart skill in leadership. We see this with the examples of Moses in Numbers 11, Joshua in Number 27. King David in 1 Samuel 16, and even King Saul in 1 Samuel 10, 11, and 16. And specifically in the case of Saul, what we find out is that this Holy Spirit enablement and empowerment was temporary. It could be removed, just as the Holy Spirit was removed and his empowerment was removed from King Saul. And so during the revelation of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit gave all life restrained the world and evil, regenerated every believer, empowered some individuals temporarily, and finally, he breathed out the Old Testament. What did the Holy Spirit do during the revelation of the Old Testament? He breathed out and recorded Scripture for us through holy men of God. Apostle Peter proclaimed in Acts 1.16, Brethren, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. And then he proceeds to quote in verse 20 the book of Psalms saying that this was spoken by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit breathed out and inspired the entire book of Psalms. Indeed, this is what David himself said when he came to the end of writing his Psalms, and he declared in 2 Samuel 23, 1-2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His words were in my tongue. The New Testament book of Hebrews also teaches us that the Holy Spirit authored each one of the major parts of the Old Testament as well. The law, or the Pentateuch, according to Hebrews 9, verse 8, was done by the Holy Spirit. The Psalms, according to Hebrews 3, verse 7. And the prophets, according to Hebrews 10, verse 15. They were all inspired, breathed out by God. By God, the Holy Spirit. And on top of this, the entire tenor, frankly, of of the Old Testament shows us that when prophets spoke, they always spoke how? By the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Even when the false prophet Balaam gave a genuine prophetic message in a unique instance, we're still told in Numbers 24, verse 2, that even that false prophet spoke the true word of God when the Holy Spirit came upon him. So throughout the revelation of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon and fill the 27 or so authors temporarily for the purpose of delivering and writing down the God-breathed divine message. Just as 2 Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. 
So that's what the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament. He gave all life. He restrained the world. He regenerated every believer. He empowered some individuals temporarily. And he breathed out the Old Testament. We can ask the second question, though, concerning what the Holy Spirit might have done in the past. And that is, what did the Holy Spirit do during the revelation of that promised one of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, when he arrived on earth? What was the Holy Spirit's role in the revelation of the anointed Christ? And the short answer is, what did he do? A lot. (laughs) A whole lot. The Holy Spirit was intimately involved in every area of Jesus' life when you study the Gospels. Since he was literally the Christ, which means the anointed one. The one anointed by the Holy Spirit. The one anointed one promised from Isaiah 11, 2-3 and Isaiah 42, verse 1. The Holy Spirit was first involved in Jesus' birth. We all know the stories very well. Both Matthew one twenty and Luke one thirty five makes it very clear that Jesus had no physical father, but rather the Holy Spirit was the agent of Mary's conception. As Matthew one verse twenty states, Jesus was from the Holy Spirit. And as a result of the Holy Spirit's work, the human nature of Christ came into existence, and his human nature was sinless. Because he was of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was involved in Jesus' birth, and he was also involved in Jesus' ministry. The Holy Spirit was dramatically present right from the very beginning of Jesus stepping onto the stage of human history and beginning his ministry. The Holy Spirit descended, if you recall, on Jesus in an observable, physical, perceivable form at his baptism, like a dove. And immediately afterwards, Luke 4, 1 tells us that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And you see that play out throughout the rest of His ministry. Immediately, Jesus is driven by the Spirit, Scripture tells us, into the wilderness to face 40 days of intense trials. And then Jesus, as Luke 4.14 says, returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there He began teaching, as Luke 4.18 says, with the Spirit of the Lord upon Him. So Jesus' ministry and His teaching was conducted in the power of the Holy Spirit. Under the Holy Spirit's power and direction. Jesus' miracles also were performed by the Holy Spirit, specifically when He cast out demons. Jesus refuted the Jewish authorities in Matthew 12, verse 28 by saying, If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He drove out demons by the Spirit of God. In fact, Jesus' greatest works, His death and His resurrection, Scripture all says, were carried out by the Holy Spirit, according to Hebrews 9.14, Romans 1.4, and Romans 8.11. And not only Jesus' teaching and miracles, but also Jesus' whole, I guess you could say, inner life, His person, His being, was in the Holy Spirit as well. There's an interesting story in Luke 10, verse 21, where it tells us that 70 disciples of Jesus returned to him after a period of ministry, reporting that even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. And Jesus is said to have been, in that passage, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. I mean, even his emotions were a reflection of the emotions of the Holy Spirit. Think of that. Jesus' emotions were an expression of the Holy Spirit. Just as Scripture says, Christ was the Anointed One. The Holy Spirit was intimately involved in every period and moment of Jesus' life and ministry. And by the way, there's a very, very 
very, very, very important takeaway from all this. Especially as how it relates concerning, as we'll be talking about in a few weeks, concerning how the Holy Spirit works, particularly in sign gifts. Think about this for a moment. Jesus, being the Christ, was the supreme example of being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, He was literally the Anointed One. If you want to put it this way, no one had more of the Spirit than Jesus did. The Holy Spirit had more control of Him than any other human being in all of history. And yet, as the Anointed One, look at Jesus' life. He was never overcome by fits of laughter. He was never overtaken by seizures of jumping or sprinting. He was never knocked over and slain by the Spirit. Rather, being totally controlled by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was thoroughly empowered throughout His ministry to do two things. To proclaim the saving Gospel and to glorify His Father through His conversation and His conduct. That is what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. It means being empowered to declare the saving gospel to those who need to hear it. And it means being empowered to glorify God through our conversations and our conduct. That is what being filled with the Spirit means. It is the divine empowerment that comes when you are resolved by God's Spirit to obey God's will. And Jesus is the supreme example of that as the promised Christ. So the Holy Spirit was active in the revelation of the Old Testament and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is where I come in, and so it gets exciting. Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, was active in the Old Testament during the ministry of Christ. We can say His work literally exploded, though, during the revelation of the New Testament. And there are many things I could mention about this time, which I'll mention when we discuss about the Holy Spirit and what He's doing today. But for this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to just two of his main works during the time when the New Testament arrived. The first being, obviously, was the divine inspiration of the New Testament. He authored the message. Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit would come, he would first bring to their remembrance all that Christ had said to them. He would second, teach them all things. And third, the Holy Spirit would declare to them the things that are to come. This is from John 14 and John 16. So, what happened? The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, reminds the apostles of all that Christ said to them, and what do they write down? They write down the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Holy Spirit then comes and teaches them all things, and what happens? The apostles write all the books from Acts to Jude. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and what does He do? He declares to them the things to come. The Apostle John writes the book of what? Revelation. The entire New Testament, just like the Old Testament, was authored by the Holy Spirit. That's why 2 Peter 1.21 states, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit authored the New Testament message, and He also authenticated the message. In other words, he didn't just say, hey, here's a message from God, and I won't set it apart from any other message that's going around. He verified and confirmed that this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was the Word of God, because Hebrews 2, verses 3-4 through says this, 
this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed to His Word. You see, the Holy Spirit not only authored the New Testament message, the good news of Jesus Christ, He also authenticated it. He put His stamp of approval on the newly revealed message by performing various signs, wonders, and miracles. Those sign gifts had a revelatory purpose to them. The Holy Spirit confirmed this to be the Word of God. You can see this throughout the book of Acts. The apostles are proclaiming the newly revealed truth about Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit authenticates His message by performing miracles for the sake of the unbelieving hearers. He did it so that the world would know that this new gospel message was clearly from God, because look at what God was doing through its messengers. So the first major work the Holy Spirit did during the revelation of the New Testament is He inspired, he, he inspired the Scriptures. The second major work he performed and started doing during the New Testament was the permanent indwelling of every believer. The permanent indwelling of every believer. Jesus, just before his death, repeatedly promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit was coming, he says. In other words, the work of the Holy Spirit, though he had always been in the world, as we saw from the Old Testament, was soon to expand to such an extent, it was almost as if he had never been there before and was now coming for the very first time. So dramatic would be this new revelation of the Holy Spirit to the, gods, to the world. The most significant change in terms of the Holy Spirit's ministry from the Old to the New Testament is mentioned in John 14, 17, where Jesus said of the Holy Spirit to His disciples, You know Him, for He dwells, present tense, with you, and future tense will be in you. So did you catch that? The Holy Spirit currently... He was telling, Jesus was telling His disciples, is with you, but soon He will be in you. This is huge. As I mentioned already during the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would only come upon someone for a period of time, and then they would, that, He would leave that individual when either the appointed task was done or they disqualified themselves from that work because of rebellion. And so in the Old Testament, the direct presence of the Holy Spirit continually was not a guaranteed thing. That's why David himself cried out in Psalms 51 verse 11, Cast me not away from your presence, nor take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, David in that work of being king of Israel... He had experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit, his strength, his comfort, his zeal, his guidance, and empowerment. And now David desired the Spirit's presence at all times, and when he committed a sin, he was afraid that it would be taken away from him. And God in his mercy decided that that pure desire for the Holy Spirit's presence would one day be fulfilled, and that the Spirit that had only been with some who had believed before during periods of empowerment would now be on all those who believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so what happened at the revelation of the New Testament? In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, with the sound of a mighty rushing wind from heaven, the Holy Spirit came to indwell each and every single believer in Jesus Christ, just like He does today. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's Spirit dwells within you. Because He's God, He can take up residence in every single believer's 
heart. He makes his permanent home in you. Ephesians 1, 13-14 states, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And Romans eight eleven says, The Spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. He dwells in you. So this is what the Holy Spirit started doing during the revelation of the New Testament. He started permanently indwelling every believer. Now, I have a question for you. Does this type of indwelling ministry make a difference in someone's life? Does it? Or can you trust in Jesus, be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of life itself, and keep on living life like you lived it before? See, there are a lot of people today that believe that to be true. There are a lot of people today that teach that to be true. There are a lot of people that tell themselves this is true when they look at the lives of their children or their grandchildren. And they think to themselves, but they prayed a prayer sometime. They expressed faith in Christ one time. Surely, you can have the Holy Spirit and not be changed by it, right? Wrong. When you understand the Spirit's work, you understand the gravity that many, many people's spiritual conditions are in around us. It makes an eternity of difference when the Holy Spirit is in you. When the Holy Spirit indwells you the very moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we receive at that very moment first life. Divine life. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Man, if you trust in Jesus Christ, it will make a difference in your life. Like a resurrection type of difference in your life. Like coming from death to life again. As Jesus said in John 7, 38-39, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive. See, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, and He gives you so much divine life from God that it flows out of you into the lives of other people. The only true disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who is making disciples. Have you ever thought about that? Because the only person that truly has life from above has so much of it, it's getting poured into other people. Do those around you in your workplace, in your school, even know you to be a follower of Christ? Because the Holy Spirit imparts life. Life. So much life and freedom and fulfillment in Christ that it's overflowing. This is the work the Spirit does. Not that you do. The Spirit does this. When the Holy Spirit indwells us, we receive life. Second, we receive understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, As it is written, What no eye has seen nor ear heard, neither the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those that love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. We have received the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. You see, the moment that the Spirit indwells you, 
The Bible is no longer a closed book. It suddenly begins to make sense. We begin to understand the things freely given to us by God because God the Holy Spirit is within us, illuminating to us the meaning and significance of His Word. Many of you perhaps might not read the Bible very often. And you excuse it in your own heart and mind as, well, I'm just not much of a reader. Could it be that Scripture is close to you? Have you truly trusted in Christ? Because when you trust in Christ, the Spirit takes the Word of God, He takes the book He Himself has authored, and He opens your mind to it. And it becomes to you sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. This is what the Spirit does in the lives of those who believe. So when the Spirit comes to indwell us, we receive life. We receive understanding. Third, we receive strength, spiritual strength. Ephesians 3.16 says that we are being strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being. Right When, When God the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, that is the presence of Almighty God Himself. Think of that. Think of that power, that strength. You say strength to do what? Well, that has to do with the fourth thing we receive when the Holy Spirit indwells us, and that is obedience. The ability to obey. Ezekiel 36.27, God promised there, I will put my Spirit within you, and in this way I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You will be my people, and I will be your God. See, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell those who believe in Christ, they are given the new supernatural strength and ability in that moment to start obeying God. As Romans 6.17 says, In Christ we have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we've been committed. And the righteous requirement of the law, as Romans 8 verse 4 says, can now be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the what? Spirit. Through the life, understanding, and strength that comes through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we now have the supernatural ability as believers to begin to live a life that honors and pleases God. Because greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. You see, you can't excuse, either in your own life or in the life of someone that you love, that the reason why they're drifting away from God is because they're just living in such a poor environment with so many bad friends. That's not true. That is not true. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have strength to obey. Which leads us to the next thing we receive through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, we receive life, understanding, strength, obedience. Next, virtue. Galatians 5, 22-23 says that the fruit of the Spirit, that is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence in our lives, is love. Romans 5, 5, right? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Next two he mentions is joy and peace. Just like Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat or drink, but it's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He begins to mention these virtues, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of that that Paul mentions there in Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. And you could also mention, by the way, hope. Hope. Because Romans 15, 13 says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 
All of these are virtues that are given and are grown by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to indwell believers, they receive life, understanding, strength, obedience, virtue. Really quickly, last two, boldness. Jesus says in Luke 12, 11-12, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. See, so often in our evangelism, we sit there and say, like Moses, right? I can't speak. I just stutter all the time. I'm going to trip over myself. It'll be terrible. That's not true. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God has opened up His Word to you. He's given the content of your message. And He has promised to give you the boldness and the words needed to speak them. We see this demonstrated by Peter in Acts 4, 8-12. through Peter, the man who cowered before the questions of a servant girl, stood up before all of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and he said, This Jesus whom you have crucified has become the cornerstone, and there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Right? We can speak out for God. Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, believers receive life, understanding, strength, obedience, virtue, boldness, and then finally, assurance. Assurance of salvation from the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 15-16 says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, for the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit assures us of our salvation. Again, Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit assures us of our salvation. And then finally, 1 John 4, 13, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. The Spirit assures us of our salvation. You might be sitting here thinking this morning, How? How does He assure us of our salvation? In all the ways that I just mentioned, right? In all the ways. As He opens up His Word to us. As He transforms our mind. As He causes us to follow more closely after Christ. And as He develops within us spiritual life, understanding, strength, obedience, virtue, and boldness. The Holy Spirit gives us through His indwelling, transforming presence, the assurance of salvation. And that is why I can say that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit changes a believer's life guaranteed. We have to believe in a gospel of power because we believe in a gospel that is applied by the Holy Spirit. Life, understanding, strength, obedience, virtue, boldness, and assurance. All this and more because God Himself has come to dwell in us. to conclude this for you all then today. You know what all this is a picture of? That I've just walked you through? Even though you might have thought, you probably did, wow, this is just a long list of stuff that he does, right? You know what all that is a picture of? It is a picture of God's love. And I want to finish with this. 1 John 3.1 says that the sign of God's love for us The sign of God's love for us is that He adopted us to be His children. And Romans 8.14 says the sign that we are adopted as God's children is that He has given us His Spirit. So you see, the Spirit, as the sign of our adoption, is the very expression of God's love towards us. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How? 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, when we study God the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in us, we are studying love Himself. Think about it. God loves us so much that He gave us spiritual, He gave us physical life. God loved us so much that He gave us His own steadfast and sufficient Word. God loved us so much that He restrained our, restru- our destructive wickedness, being patient that we might become, come to the point of repentance. God loved us so much that He gave us the life of His own Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And God loves us so much that He gives to all those who believe in Christ total forgiveness and eternal life in His name. But wonder of wonders, on top of that, God loves us so much that for those who trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, God loves us so much that He gives us Himself to dwell in us and thereby demonstrate to us His everlasting love by showering upon us each and every day divine life, divine understanding, divine strength, divine obedience, divine virtue, divine boldness, and divine assurance. It's not just that He has demonstrated His love towards us in Christ. He daily demonstrates His love towards us in Christ. Truly did John write, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. How do we know? Look at the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is love. These are the wondrous things that He has done, and we'll have to wait till next week to see the wondrous works that He is doing. In anticipation of that, and in light of all that God the Holy Spirit has done in the past, And what he's going to do in the future, I want to close with the prayer of the hymnist Henry Tweedy who wrote this. O Spirit of the living God, Thou light and fire divine, descend upon Thy church once more and make it truly Thine. Fill it with love and joy and power with righteousness and peace, till Christ shall dwell in human hearts and sin and sorrow cease. This is the Word of God which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until Christ, the Anointed One, returns. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much when we ask What have you done? That the answer is, I have loved you. I am loving you. And I will always love you. We thank you, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The love that has been poured out into our hearts. And Father, considering that His work is nothing but love from You. Help us to submit to His working in our lives this week as we come to Your Word and as Your Spirit convicts our hearts as to what to do and where to walk and how to act. Help us remember that that is the promptings of love Himself. Father, may we be faithful 
in demonstrating this love that You have poured into our hearts to demonstrate it to those around us. Rivers of living water. Help us to be that towards those who are lost this week. Give us the boldness, the understanding, the assurance, the confidence, the peace, the joy that we need to fulfill this task. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.